Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We have another incredible guest today, uh, Ambassador Gela Beshwasvili. Thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast, sir. How are you? Good, George. Hello. Good morning. Um, I'm well. Very nice. Uh, I've been I've been looking forward to um, to this conversation. Uh, and before we get started, if anyone uh, for anyone watching or listening, if this is the first time you're on this podcast, make sure to go on to all streaming platforms uh, and on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and you like uh, and you rate the podcast. It will help us tremendously. And we thank you for that. Um, like I was saying, I, I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you because uh, you know you, you've had a, a long standing. A long-lasting and significant career uh, in the public service. Uh, we're talking about Georgia uh, over here, um, and at a very crucial time in, in in this country's recent political history. Uh, and and for me, it's just fascinating to be able to exchange, you know, with someone who has been progressing in this career during the Soviet era, uh, during the time of you know the dissolution of the Soviet era, and of course, at a time during the rebuilding uh, and um, uh, and transforming, if you want, of the modern Georgian state. So uh, I'm looking forward to this, um, to this, uh, to this conversation. Um, before we, because there's a lot of things happening. I think all of, you know, everyone's eyes are focused in that region because of what is happening uh, politically. Uh, but before we get to that, I'd love to get a little bit of your, um, uh, your take on, you know, the, the the early life and the experience for all the listeners out there who are perhaps interested in a diplomatic career or um, or a career in public service. Um, tell me a little bit how it was growing up in Georgia uh, in that era. Uh, all right, George. First of all, uh, let me start with the congratulating Strategy International with the um, with the online uh, podcasting. Uh, it's a fascinating. Uh, I took part in. Um, in setting up this uh, incredible group of uh, people, which is uh, our organization, Strategy International. I'm uh, really delighted to be part of it. And um, again, congratulations with a, with, with, with a good start uh, with your um, online uh, broadcasting. Um, secondly, um, uh, first of all, if, if that um, uh, about uh, career uh, in diplomacy or any public career, uh, what I would say to anybody that I say to my kids, that I say to anybody at the university where I teach, I say, if you think about, um, if you think about seriously serving your country as a public official in diplomacy, in the military, in any other uh, public domain, uh, you need to understand that this is a, a great privilege to serve your people and your country. Uh, and it's it's not that the Georgia is a small country or uh, there are bigger countries. Um, I like uh, to call Georgia compact country because it is. Uh, it's not about the size. It's about the spirit. It's about 
your history, your roots, your identity, uh, your energy, uh, future. So, I mean, uh, it's not about the size. And uh, when you think about a career in diplomacy in any country, big or small, you need to you need to understand that this is a great privilege. It's it's uh, and you if you get a chance to serve, uh, you have got to do it right. You have got to give your substantial uh, portion of your life uh, serving people. And it's it's incredible experience. I'm a very happy person because I spent 25 years in active um, public sector. Uh, and I started with a, uh, with a small steps, of course, after graduating university. And it was uh, right at the verge of dissolution of Soviet Union. You mentioned this. I graduated the diplomatic school in Soviet Union. It was a Soviet school based in Kiev. Uh, by the way, I spent six fantastic years in, in Ukraine. I love this country and what is happening there. It's a, really my personal tragedy as well. Uh, so after dissolution of Soviet Union, I went back to Georgia, which was just newly... Um, independent uh, from the Soviet uh, uh, Union, and we started to build uh, institutions, um, including uh, the diplomatic uh, institution, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I started from from uh, very low as uh, secretary, and at some point I became a foreign minister, and that was certainly um, my luck and uh, happiness that I. I've got this uh, chance to serve my country in that very, very important field of public sector. When you were growing up uh, in, in Georgia, obviously we're talking about you know so, the Soviet era Georgia over here. What was it like as a child? Uh, you know, we, we've we've read stories and we've heard other people that have you know been uh, raised in in Georgia. Tell tell me a little bit about the education. I, I'm curious to know about the knowledge that you had about. You know how much was going on in the Western world. You know the culture, uh, in that you know in this part of the world. Um, yeah, yeah, we got it. Uh, look, uh, the Soviet Union uh, was a um, uh, closed country. So uh, when you are there, whether you're in Georgia or Ukraine and other other Soviet republics, the regime was the same for everybody. You know, I'm, um, I'm I grew up in a, in a middle class family at that point, but by that standards. My my mom was a school teacher, and my father worked for the public institutions uh, locally outside of the capital. Um, and uh, and uh, you know the access to um, to foreign sources of uh, information was very limited, uh, almost none, when you are at the school level. I got the chance to have more exposure to uh, to the Western um, uh, literature or, or Western sources of information when I was at the university and the diplomatic school. Because in the diplomatic school, one of the advantages comparable to other majors that you would choose, uh, law, philosophy, or whatever, was that the diplomatic school in the Soviet Union prepared diplomats to work abroad. Mm -hmm. So you have been provided with a a some limited, filtered, but still um, information about, about the West. So my exposure... Uh, of the Western values and of the West I started with because the TV and the, and the newspapers were not, were not available. Only if, uh, from those from these communist countries. And um, I studied Spanish at the time and the only newspaper available to read was Cuban Grandma right. uh, and not, for example, Spanish uh, El País from Spain because that was uh, regarded as a, you know, a NATO country and uh, 
hostile, uh, so to speak, um, uh, ideology. So, um, uh, but at the same time, the Georgia, uh, by um, by all standards, uh, uh, was one of the most educated republic in the Soviet Union because, uh, like, this is a lifestyle. This is a family value. The education is number one priority for the any family in this small compact country. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, from the beginning, the parents and the families um, invest a lot in the kids' education at the school level, at the university level. So uh, the level of education uh, was quite high. Uh, this uh, compact country was very famous, not only with its deep-rooted history. You know, the Georgia is, uh, is one of the oldest Christian nations in the world uh, and uh, um, located in a region that was very challenging all the time, um, uh, surrounded by different cultures, different religious, being, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, occupied uh, by many empires uh, for uh, for some time. You know, we were under the Persian rule for 300 years, Ottoman Empire for 200 years and more, then Soviet Empire for 70 years. I mean, you, you, it, it's, a, it's a rich history. At the same time, the country that has a deep-rooted uh, European identity and European values. Uh, and that's why European choice uh, of my people, of people of Georgia, is not a surprise to anyone. Mm-hmm. Because if you come here, if you walk on the streets, if you talk to the people, you will see, uh, you will see, of course, um, a lot of uh, stuff and things from uh, from the Orient. So the, the, the architecture is uh, half European, half Oriental. And uh, as, uh, for example, in the beginning of the century, um, Norwegian um, uh, Norwegian um, traveler Knut Hansen traveled from uh, from Russia to Baku through Georgia, mm-hmm. and he wrote a fantastic book called In Wonderland. Uh, and this old book says that uh, he uh, met here people, and uh, seventy languages were spoken, seventy in a one uh, one uh, trading sp- space in Tiflis at the time was a cultural center of Caucasus. Uh, and he described the country uh, as a European country with Latin American flavor in it. That's, I quote, what Knut Hansen said 100, 110 years ago. So this is a country, um, if, if you ask me, this is a country I grew up uh, in and uh, the country that I uh, have served, served as a public ser- servant and now I'm in service of my country in my different capacity. Tell me something, uh, Ambassador. What, what prompted you to to take this path to to, to go into public service? Was this a, a, a general ambition that a uh, uh, young man had at that time, or was it something that you were passionate about and thought, "I need to represent my country. I need to serve my country in this way." Well, look, George. Uh, when you are 17 years old and 18 years old, it's very difficult to say to yourself that I will serve my country for the rest of my life. I mean, um, that was not the case. The choice of my profession was my passion to international relations, to exposure to the uh, foreign policy, policy in general. Uh, yes, that was a, um, uh, a choice uh, of uh, profession. But when I graduated um, uh, in 1990, the Soviet Union collapsed, and actually. When I was already on, uh, on my third grade, probably, or, or fourth, I knew that uh, something is going to happen. And uh, that would be a chance for me to start uh, building something from the scratch, from zero in my own country. And that was uh, uh, the most exciting moment in your life when you start building something uh, brick by brick. Right. Uh, you're starting build, building your own country. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, 
fantastic opportunity that I have had. Now the new generation of diplomats or any other public officials here have a, a fantastic chance to continue what we have started 30 years ago. And I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating process. And I have, um, I've um, attended uh, one um, a conference uh, in Kiev, by the way, uh, and the speaker was, um, was a great personality, a great person, Shimon Peres, late president of, uh, of Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking very passionately about uh, politics and uh, about uh, risks of politics, about, uh, um, um, uh, about unpopularity of politics within a new generation of, uh, of young uh, people everywhere, by the way. And he said, look, um, if you are considering politics to be a dirty business and you don't enter it, the only way in a democratic country, that's what he said in essence, the only way in a democratic country to change something for a better is through the democratic pro- process to be elected uh, and to change um, uh, something. So you've got to try and you've got to try to break this uh, perception of politics being dirty mm-hmm. by, by entering it and doing it your way. Uh, and in uh, changing the way and say, uh, and I remember still his words, he said, you know, there are no small dreams. Dream, dream big. And I always repeat to myself and to the students and to my family members, I said, yeah, we, get, we have got to dream big, you know, in order to achieve um, a, a big for, uh, for the society, for your country. And I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky since you asked this, I'm really lucky it's a, it's a luck as well. It's it's hard work, but it's also luck right. uh, that I I in that particular period of time I happened to be in this storm of uh, of reforms in this uh, country, and I think we have made a lot of progress uh, for uh, for the people that are now showing their results because it's take time. Take a sec, because. You know, you were already somewhat involved uh, at the Foreign Affairs Department in the early 90s, right when the Soviet Union um, was was splitting up. Take us through those last years up, to, you know, that, that led to the end of that Soviet Union uh, and, you know, the reemergence of an independent Georgia sta- uh, Georgian state. What, what was that like those last years? You mentioned that you saw something coming. People kind of, you know, tasted uh, some change. Something was up in the air. Um, what was that like, those last years, those last moments when it was coming down to the line and, you know, things really went that way and you finally realized that we're splitting up and we have this opportunity to have an independent country again? Uh, yes, George, we, I, I understand this, this is a big issue. I mean, and, and the big topic that you ask, and it's a, it's a bit of history. Um, uh, in uh, in uh, 1989, the Soviet uh, military uh, uh, entered uh, the square, the main uh, street in Tbilisi, and they killed the uh, peaceful demonstrators. It was uh, April 9 of 89. Mm-hmm. 89, I was on my third year, uh, fourth year of my university in Kiev. So I was not here in, in, mm-hmm. in the city. But uh, the people were killed on the streets of Tbilisi because they were um, asking for. Uh, independence. So that was the independence movement that has started early. It has started in the Baltic states. Uh, you remember the Vilnius event. Then it was Estonia. There, there was a Latvia and, and Georgia. So the people here are 
uh, again, I repeat myself, people here have a diff- different um, identity from the point of view that it's very much European. Mm-hmm. So they said, they said we need we need a freedom for the country that been subjugated under the Soviet Union for seventy years, and they were um, they were beaten uh, severely, and many people were killed by the uh, poisonous gas that the Russian uh, military used in Belize. Mm. So since eighty nine, uh, anyone, including myself, understood that there is no other way but independence. Mm-hmm. How long would it take? We didn't know. Nobody knew that the Soviet Union would collapse so quickly. Nobody. So I read now there are a lot of scholars, a lot of you know former diplomats, uh, about presidents and foreign ministers for different countries. Nobody uh, could predict that the Russian uh, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, were collapsing, was collapsing, but nobody knew what would be a pace and a speed. Mm-hmm. So it happened. It happened in uh, 1990, uh, and uh, and uh, at that moment. Uh, a lot of young people, Georgians, who were studying in different uh, cities or different republics of uh, of Soviet Union, uh, came back to Georgia in order to help the country to to build up its own uh, independent um, uh, country. So that's that's how that happened. It, it must have been amazing to have all these young, intelligent people just come back home. There's there must have been this sentiment of pride and. Uh, and this will to contribute to the to this new country. Absolutely, and that was the enthusiasm. Uh, you know that uh, the economic situation at that time was uh, collapsed, so there was no motivation, no uh, financial motivation uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, that that wave, by the way, continued because you know after the dissolution of Soviet Union. After a certain period of emotional uh, happiness of being independent, uh, you realize that you know nobody but you, the people in Georgia, need to build up successful uh, countries yes. Yes. without corruption, with a uh, institution and something. And we we have had the problems after uh, we have declared our independence because that uh, on other first years you go uh, emotionally as independent, you're very proud about your independence, about your identity, your flag. But at the same time, you realize that you lack a capacity uh, to to sustain uh, economy, to sustain institutions in a way to be a truly democratic country. So uh, by the end of 2000, uh, 2002, um, the situation here aggravated to the level that, uh, and again, I was outside of the country doing my master's degree in the States. Uh, I was at the Kennedy School at Harvard in 2003 when Rose Revolution happened in Georgia uh, because the demand of the people was very uh, vocal uh, for a more um, a more uh, democratic process for um, uh, uncorrupt institutions. Fight against corruption was one of the motives of the uh, of the leader of the opposition at that time, and later he became a president, Mikhail Saakashvili, who's contribution to this country's uh, 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 success is enormous, is enormous. Um, and unfortunately, the, the guy, as you you can read in the books of history, uh, he's in jail now for what um, he has done mm-hmm. uh, in his country. But this is a long story. What I'm saying is that, that um, uh, the call for a better country was always part of the uh, Georgian society. Right. Even now, after 30 years of independence, 
there are people on the streets uh, asking for more transparency, for more uh, justice, for more uh, 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 open process and democratic process of of elections and so on and so forth. So this is a this is a continuous process in which, again, it's a privilege to serve, but at the same time, it's a greater great responsibility for the young people to understand that they are responsible for the future of the country and nobody else. Let's uh, let's get into the, the 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 big topic over here because, uh, like I said in the beginning, <clears throat> at the beginning of this year, everyone's eyes were turned to that region because of the the Russian invasion into the Ukraine. Uh, and for those who can place Georgia on the map, they can quickly see that this <coughs> conflict is literally at your doorstep. Um, you know, the, the the entire world has been dragged into this uh, conflict, but you have um, a, a more direct and prominent role in this because it's literally right there in front of you um first and foremost i'm curious to know how things are in georgia right now look uh before talking about ukraine and russia uh uh, russia intervened in georgia uh, after dissolution of soviet union in 1992 Mm -hmm. by uh, instigating the civil war a conflict in one of our provinces in Abkhazia. Uh, as a result, now the uh, Abkhazia and the small uh, region called Skinvali region, they are uh, uh, now occupied by Russian forces. Uh, Russia intervened uh, with a military force in Georgia in 2008, very recent history, uh, when they um, uh, seized these territories again and um, uh, declared them as independent countries. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2008, our voice was not heard. Uh, we were very, very vocal in uh, asking the international community to wake up, uh, to see the real eyes of, of Russia, a real face of Russia. Uh, I think um, we did our best, but the international community did not react as it should have mm-hmm. at that time. So then uh, you see 2014, uh, uh, Russia intervened in Ukraine, uh, seized the Crimea, declared the Crimea as a Russian territory. Then they instigated the uh, civil confrontation and then a military confrontation in Donbass. And then uh, recently, uh, 24 of February, they intervened in Ukraine in order to uh, to occupy the whole country. I mean, uh, it, it's an illusion to think that the Russians have, uh, have a limited um, uh, appetite mm-hmm. for Ukraine. They want the whole Ukraine subjugated to their uh, rule i mean there's no doubt about it it's so also, we have our history. it's also fascinating to see how they've gotten a pass it seems as though history just keeps repeating itself and it's the exact same copy paste uh yes. procedure um yes and you're right to, yes. to say that you know the international community has been closing its eyes on things happening not only in georgia but everywhere um all over the world um and it seems as though russia has always been part of it uh, yeah, it, we, you know, it's not only, um, uh, and we don't learn. I mean, this is a copy-paste scenarios. If you take a scenario of Crimea or Donbass and look it back to 2000, uh, 1992, 1993, 1994, Georgia, copy-paste. They started to distribute the Russian passports in your territory. That's what they were doing for years in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then they claim the protection of their citizens and they intervene militarily. I mean... Uh, if you have a comparison of uh, historical uh, events, 
uh, similar events were in uh, uh, when uh, when uh, the um, Nazis entered the Czechoslovakia by claiming the rights of Germans living there. All right. So I mean, you can I mean the pretext. I mean, if they need an excuse to to intervene, they will always find an excuse. Right. I mean, that's uh, that's clear. But we we uh, did not learn how to hear what they say. This is something that we need to understand. In 2007, when the uh, Russian President Putin uh, was speaking in a Munich conference, I won in a room. I was in a room as a foreign minister, and I clearly heard him saying that the dissolution of Soviet Union was a um, millennium tragedy. So the guy was at that time, sending the message to the international community that we are going to restore the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Everybody was laughing, no, it's impossible. Everybody was saying it's impossible, you know, Russia does not have resources to do it and something. What we are hearing now, George, we are hearing now that Russia indeed saying that they are going to restore the Soviet Union. Yeah. And how? Tell me how they can encourage Georgians to reunite how they can encourage Ukrainians to reunite, how they are going to encourage Kazakhs, Azeris, or others to reunite. They're not willing to do it. Mm -hmm. So what's an option? What's an option? Option is military intervention. And uh, I think I think we are in a very, very turbulent uh, period. All of us need to be very vigilant, Georgia especially, because the risk of Russian intervention again in Georgia is high. Um, uh, unfinished business in Ukraine and Ukraine resistance is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. It's incredible how they are defending their own country. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they, they, George, if you ask me, they are not defending themselves only. They are fighting for us, Georgians. Mm -hmm. They are fighting for Poland. They are fighting for Romania. They're fighting for Czechs, Slovaks, Bolts, and the, the whole Europe. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand this message. We need, we, as we say, we, especially Europeans, the whole Europeans, Westerns, Eastern Europeans, South Europe, North Europe. This is a moment when we need to understand this brutal force comes to our values, not only for territories. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think we, we're getting, we're, I mean, we Europeans are getting this, but, and it's not too late, I say, but it could have been much more better mm -hmm. if our voice in 2008, in 2014, would be heard at that time. Tell me something as a career diplomat. Um, what role do you see now in diplomacy uh, with Russia? Um, I mean, is there a, is there room for diplomacy um, in this conflict? Can we see something unfolding, or are all the doors closed right now? It seems as though it hasn't been working since the very beginning. Um, I'm just curious to know, you know, what what happens going forward. Is diplomacy going to win or are we just going to see this endless conflict until someone just, you know, drops their arms and gives up? Well, this is a very fundamental question, actually, George. And uh, as a trained diplomat, you know, I never close the rooms for diplomacy and they should be open always. That's that's by design, by definition, diplomacy is, mm -hmm. is all about. Uh, at the same time, at the moment as we speak, there is no room for diplomacy because there is no uh, sign of um, of a compromise uh, on the Russian side because they are not winning. So what, what they were simply saying to Ukraine, we will stop the war tomorrow if you surrender. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. I mean, there is always a room for diplomacy. If you surrender, the war, war usually stops yeah. in, and it's over. And it's easy end, by the way. You, we were criticized in Georgia, for example, in 2008 uh, by many Europeans. I mean, even some, some people in America were saying, no, 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 Georgia, you, you know, this is a big country. Um, you provoke them or something. You know, nobody provoked Russia. But if you surrender, then it's over. I mean, the war is not going to start. I mean, there's always a choice to stop mm-hmm. the war. But what's the price? Price for Ukraine, if they stop resisting now, will be their independence, independence of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then the greater risks will, will go, will move further uh, to the western uh, borders of, uh, of Ukraine and eastern borders of the European Union and NATO. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, uh, diplomacy uh, must work, and there will be a time for diplomacy. But now, uh, as a trained diplomat, uh, even I realize that I think the fate of Europe is being decided now by the military of military uh, of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Mi- uh, so, military—I'm not saying victory, but military resistance in unbearable damages which are happening mm-hmm. in Ukraine for Russia. That will lead to the moment when the zone of possible agreement between Ukraine and the Russia. And if you ask me, not Ukraine and the Russia, because this war is not against Ukraine per se. This war is against the values mm-hmm. that this country big enough happen to choose as their destiny. Right. So this is a, this is a big uh, chessboard. Um, uh, you might be familiar with the, with a book by Zbigniew Brzezinski, and I met him when he uh, gave me this book some years ago in Washington. Uh, this is a, a grand chessboard when he very eloquently and, and very wisely describes the role of Ukraine in a, in a future of Eurasia, in Russia. So I think what Zbigniew Brzezinski uh, uh, saw some years ago, uh, a couple of decades year, uh, ago, uh, is happening now. And the, the fate of Europe and Eurasia is being decided now on the territory of Ukraine. It was a huge price that Ukrainian people are paying for. Paying for. What is um, what is Georgia's role in this conflict? Uh, like we said before, you're you're right there, you're front and center uh, in this conflict. Uh, at any moment, it could come into your borders, like you said. Um, what's going on? Uh, what's the role that Georgia has taken on in this conflict? Look, uh, the Georgian public, uh, uh, predominantly. I, I mean, uh, I can say 90 percent of Georgian public is very support in support of Ukraine. We have mobilized a lot of uh, humanitarian support for uh, Ukraine, and its process is being continued. On diplomatic front, Georgia has supported Ukraine and international uh, organization concerning war in um, in Ukraine on all levels. Uh, uh, UN, um, Council of Europe, uh, OSCE. So diplomatically, I think we are fighting in front lines um, uh, supporting Ukraine. And um, uh, certainly uh, this is uh, something that we experience on our own skin. So there is, there is not just a diplomatic uh, or right or wrong issue. It's just self-survival instinct mm-hmm. that sh- 
should drive Georgia in resisting Russian intervention in Ukraine. Is there a so, fear? But there are, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Yes, yeah. Of course, the, there are people here who are saying and playing on the fears of people of war and saying if we will be uh, too proactive in supporting Ukraine, Russians will, uh, will intervene again. And my uh, argument to these voices is if Russia decides to intervene, they don't need a pretext. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, whatever you do, they have their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And their agenda is the restoration of Soviet Union. So we must support Ukraine by all means, and we must be ready uh, psychologically, physically, militarily, economically to resist. Is Georgia, is Georgia, understand the price. is Georgia prepared at that level? I don't think so that the current government is preparing for it. Uh, they are making a big mistake if they are not doing this. Right, right. Uh, I want to ask you, <clears throat> you, you've mentioned several times the, the close ties that Georgia has had with Europe and how um, it, it's so close to Europe, even though it's a little bit further from the, the European continent. Um, earlier this year, as the conflict started, there were talks about uh, enlarging the European Union. Uh, Georgia was uh, mentioned, obviously. There's been a, a, a bid for a fast-track membership into the European Union. Um, uh, what's happening with that? Where, where, where are we uh, on that? Uh, well, uh, um, that was very unfortunate because uh, of many factors, but the number one uh, was that Georgia did not make enough uh, reforms and enough uh, efforts to get where Ukraine and Moldovans got. Mm-hmm. Um, very unfortunate, but it's not the end of story. Um, we are going to get it uh, rather soon. Uh, but uh, the government, and I think there are wake-up calls now um, by the uh, civil society, which is very uh, vocal. There were um, um, thousands of thousands of people uh, on the streets of Tbilisi uh, asking government to deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they will be asking more. Mm-hmm. And they will be asking, because, you know, it's August. It's, a, it's a not a, a political season, but when political yeah. season starts, the government will be grilled by, uh, by the people to deliver uh, upon those uh, recommendations and the uh, criteria that we need to meet in order to get this um, candidate status of, uh, of European Union. So we'll get it, uh, George, I have no doubts. Uh, uh, it will take some time and it will take some people on the street, but the people uh, demand is so solid that uh, I have no doubts that uh, we will get there. You think that? Uh, do you believe the EU is a, is a real catalyst for peace in the region? Uh, yes, uh, yes, and uh, I, I tell you more. Um, uh, not only EU, but uh, increasingly NATO uh, uh, being a military political organization, of course, is a catalyst for peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why uh, our f- friends uh, from Finland and Sweden realized, and it took them uh, some years to realize that their membership in NATO uh, will contribute to the peace uh, in this region and not uh, otherwise. Uh, and I'm very happy that they joined the alliance now. Is there any, uh, well, see, see, in the very beginning, this was the biggest fear, right? I, I mean, I, I remember Putin's um, uh, speech when this uh, invasion happened, and 
the idea behind it was to instill fear in everyone. You better not help Ukraine or else we will we will you know there will be severe repercussions to everyone that that helps the ukraine obviously that was a message to the to the nato alliance um yeah. it was also a message perhaps to the neighboring countries that had aspirations in joining nato or eu you better not make a move or else um sure. how how was that perceived in georgia i mean obviously they weren't really faced by it because they pursued the eu membership um but what about the rest about the eu membership and and the rest uh sorry uh, nato membership uh look george they are threatening uh, the same message they are threatening to the country that even not thinking about NATO. i mean they are threatening kazakhstan that has no ambitions to be in nato has no uh intention to be in european union and they are still threatening the the country mm-hmm. uh they are, they are claiming that they don't have a history that kazakhstan did not exist Uh, they say about any uh, Central Asian country, um, you know. So it's not about the NATO. Uh, of course, they are using it as a pretext mm-hmm. uh, and selling this as a as a part of their disinformation campaign. And unfortunately, um, the uh, the narrative that the Russians are spreading are being uh, repeated by uh, countries like uh, China, for example. Mm-hmm. China is accusing the West of uh, instigating the war uh, in Ukraine. I mean, this is a Russian period in a Russian narrative. Um, I don't know why uh, the China is using this narrative, uh, but um, uh, clearly there are not uh, uh, very many countries in the world that are following this narrative. Right. Uh, uh, and uh, why I'm saying that, for example, European Union, because European Union and any unions uh, created here are uh, value-based unions, and Russians do not understand this. Right. They really has a difficulty understanding uh, because they are they are very skillful in playing on your weaknesses, and they are uh, they are always playing on uh, something that we Europeans uh, believe uh, as our strengths. For example, diversity, multinationalism, multi-religion. Uh, you, you know this uh, that we uh, we are very loyal to certain things uh, that Russians are saying. Wow. This is a weakness, so we need to play on the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, for example, as a disinformation campaign here in Georgia, it's a disinformation. We are subject of huge disinformation campaign by Russia. It's a propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are fighting as we can, but, you know, they are everywhere. I mean, there there are now, there is now cyber war in Ukraine and, and in Eastern and Western Europe, you know, uh, uh, with this disinformation. It's a huge topic, by the way. Uh, so, For example, as a part of the information campaign, they are saying membership in the European Union of Georgia, and Georgia is an Orthodox country, you know, we're quite a religious, you know, family-oriented society. They say membership in the EU is equal to the gay marriages. You see? And this is a very, very powerful message right. to the religious society, a society that does not necessarily understand very well Mm-hmm. Uh, the all mechanics of the process. So it's audience on on this, you know, people with the uh, in a rural area that that these calls are extremely important. Extremely important. They are playing with the Orthodox Church and Orthodoxy. And uh, and I think uh, the the war in Ukraine has damaged uh, Russia so severely, especially in uh, in a field of their strengths, right. Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. when they perceived always. Orthodoxy at their strengths. So mm-hmm. the whole Orthodox world now, 
understood. You know, Orthodox in Greece, Orthodox in Georgia, Orthodox in any other countries understood the uh, the uh, the behavior um, and the essence of of Russian Orthodoxy. Right. Uh, when the Church, Russian Orthodox Church, is um, uh, is supporting the uh, war in Ukraine and killing people. So, I mean, this is this is a, some fundamental things are happening, George, in this region. Fundamental, and we cannot cover all of them within a half an hour that we have. But the, but there are many, many topics that we can continue on uh, discussing as uh, as process goes on. And uh, I think uh, with the Strategy International, we'll have uh, uh, fantastic opportunities to analyze and also deliver uh, our recommendations uh, to to the world on, on the many topics. Um, and this region is certainly... Uh, will be um, our main focus. Definitely. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, tell me, eventually, if Georgia does manage to to become an EU member, what does that mean for Georgia? Uh, what will change, do you think? Look, it will change uh, 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 a lot, but it will change the... Uh, it will make uh, our country uh, future sustainable. In this globalized world, the compact country like us, with our advantages, but a lot of challenges that we cannot wrestle by ourselves, the strength is only in unions. Mm-hmm. And we will find our niche in the union, as, for example, Estonians fund. Estonia is a, is a three times uh, smaller, more compact than Georgia, I would say. And they, they are now very strong because they found their niche. Electronic government, for example, e-government or uh, or technology being uh, used in in the public sector this is a uh, estonia is number one mm-hmm. a, a level of education for example finland estonia nordic countries so it will improve lives of our people it will improve level of education it will make a predictable future for the generations that's in general i mean there are a lot of advantages of course uh there are no disadvantages if you ask me there are challenges for our society there are challenges to our, not identity, but by lifestyle, because we need to learn how to work harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it comes no, without this, you know, you need mm-hmm. to, to contribute. You are not only recipient right. of, uh, of goods and benefits, but also you, you must find a way how to be a good provider. So it's a learning process. I'm very optimistic um, about it. And I, I continue to be a proponent of our Western uh, choice and will do all in my power uh, to make this dream of many, many generations of Georgians to country. That's a great, uh, ambitious and optimistic way uh, to end the podcast, sir. Thank you once again for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm sure you brought value to, to the listeners. Um, I do appreciate it. I'm glad. Thank you once again, and thank you everyone that uh, that tuned in. Make sure you go and subscribe to the podcast, whether on the audio platforms or on YouTube, and we will see you again in the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast, produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found.